Hi, and welcome to Data in Depth, a podcast where we delve into advanced analytics, business intelligence, and machine learning, and how they're revolutionizing the manufacturing sector. Each episode, we share new ideas and best practices to help you put your business data to work. From the shop floor to the back office, from optimizing supply chains to customer experience, the factory of the future runs on data. Welcome, and thanks for joining us for season two of Data in Depth, the podcast exploring data and its role in the manufacturing industry. I'm your host, Andrew Reiser. Today, we are joined by Clark Ritchie, co-founder and CTO of FactGym. Welcome, Clark. Thanks. Great to be on the show. So, Clark, before we dive into things, perhaps you can just uh, share a little bit about your journey and your passion for data and what ultimately led you to co-found FactGym. Absolutely. So I co-founded FactGem about seven and a half years ago now with my uh, co-founder and our CEO, Megan Kwame. Prior to that, I've spent the majority of my career working in the United States government, uh, defense, and intelligence sectors, actually, as a, as a contractor. So that really gave me an opportunity to work on some of the largest and, and hardest data problems that really exist today. As part of that, uh, I became increasingly interested in two things. One... I'm interested in the connections between data points. So uh, not just the information itself, uh, but how is that information related to other relevant facts and and data uh, that forms a complete picture about what we're trying to understand. Mm-hmm. And two, I've always been interested in how can we take these tools for data exploration that are being created on a regular basis and maybe through a little more effort, Make them available to non-engineers. Uh, let the end user be a whether that's a, uh, a business analyst, a data scientist, or a VP of sales. Let them have some agency to actually interact with and manipulate and analyze the data themselves. Uh, so those two things kind of combined together and led us to where we are today at FactGem. Fantastic. I think those are are two good pillars that we can form the basis of our dialogue here today. So with respect to the the first item that you hit on, essentially making sense of data and deducting the information that, that comes out of these systems, oftentimes when we deal with companies or agencies, usually data is all over the place, right? So it's in various systems and what ultimately has been coined data silos. So maybe you can expand a little bit about that, your point of view on data silos and how you start framing up those conversations with customers to, to educate them on this journey. Absolutely. So uh, data silos is a fairly old term in the industry, uh, grew up many, many years ago. And, and really it, it refers to the idea that traditionally as we build systems, we build specialized systems. So we, we build them to answer a specific question. And, and then we build, of course, a data system to handle the data to answer that specific question for that specific business purpose. Mm-hmm. So this could be a system that manages your, your inventory, right? It could be a, it could be a marketing system. Uh, it, it could be uh, your shipping system. But they tend to have just the information that they need to do the job. So if I'm the shipping system, I know probably a tiny little bit about inventory only in regards to like what do I have to ship? You know, maybe where is it going? How is it getting there? What is the status of it en route? And and so forth. And that's fine because that's how businesses really used to operate, especially 15, 20 years ago. And as consumers, that's kind of what we expected, right? But now the world's changed and there's so much data and so many systems things are highly connected. So no one is surprised 
Now, you may not like it, but no one is surprised, for example, when you do a search for something online, and then five minutes later, you go onto uh, an app on your phone to play a little game, and you get an ad for something related to what you just searched for on your computer, even though you're now playing a game on your, on your iPhone. Yep. Uh, it, it's not surprising anyone. You, again, you might not like it, but it's not surprising. <laughs> right. That information is now being connected, and, and that's what we've come to expect. Uh, and successful businesses are doing that really well, whether it's in the manufacturing space, supply chain, retail, they're connecting all the dots. And that's where those silos lead to problems. We're separating those dots and we have hard walls between them. So we need to figure a way to reconnect those so we can create that larger context to allow the business to make decisions between those silos. So to understand, for example, how does my inventory affect my ability to deliver and manage my supply chain uh, and not just see them as separate pieces of the puzzle? Yep. Now that makes perfect sense. So when you're engaging with a, a perspective or a new customer, is there a framework or approach that you take them along maybe to, to do an assessment first and then make recommendations? Can you maybe share a little bit about what that often looks like and how you kind of boil that down into a process? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a big believer in doing things simply and in small steps to provide value. Mm-hmm. So along that path, when you have a conversation with a business leader, whether that's a CEO or, or someone running the line of a business, once you start talking to them and getting to understand a little bit more about how the day-to-day business works, very often you'll find they, they, they'll express pain points in terms, not necessarily of, I can't do X. Because one, uh, early on in the conversation, no senior business leader wants to tell you they can't do some critical business function because that, that would be poor form at, at, at best. But if you listen carefully, you will hear that certain things are painful. They take a long time to do. So, for example, uh, I worked with a very large healthcare organization a while back, and they would brought in a brand new CFO. And this healthcare organization, is a, uh, as, as many uh, have been, uh, grew up through merger and acquisition. So they bought hospitals and other hospitals and so forth. Uh, and this CFO was asked by the CEO, uh, how much business do we do with this particular customer? And she thought that should be a pretty easy uh, question to answer. You go to the system and, and you pull up the customer and you, and, you, and you make a query and you figure it out. Well, because this was built up through merge and acquisitions, it wasn't one system. It was closer to 50 systems. Because right. Right, when, you, when, you, when you acquire someone, you acquire all their IT along with everything else. Mm-hmm. So it took almost nine weeks to get wow. the answer. And of course, this, uh, especially as a brand new CFO, you want to make a great impression. This was not the impression she wanted to make. Um, so you'll hear stories like that. Uh, I can do this. I can get there. But man, it, it takes me a long time. Or I have a whole team of people that are manually querying one system and then another system and then another in order to manually put together that data. So you'll, you'll hear things like that. And you'll also hear that there's certain things they just don't ask certain questions they know they can't ask because by the time you get the answer, the business opportunity is gone. Right. Yep. It's a, a very common scenario and story that, that we hear as well. So similar to the scenario you gave in healthcare, I think manufacturing falls into that bucket with acquisitions over time. And in some cases, there's 
30, 40 different ERP systems. And so a lot of these major initiatives that we start to see are around master data management. And a lot of that is ERP consolidation or just building these warehouses to help build the business rules and source all this data from these disparate silos to then make sense of them. So before we pivot and talk a little bit about empowering the analysts, can you maybe expand a little bit more on what you're seeing in these scenarios like you just described as it relates to these painful processes of of manually querying each of these systems and aggregating that data. Is there maybe either lessons learned or some recommendations that you might have as it relates to how to approach a, a problem like that? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely new approaches and techniques out there. As, as a cautionary point, first off, I would be extremely leery of, of any product company or consultant or vendor who came in and told you, uh, one, we're going to solve all the problems. It's, it's basically magic. Don't worry about it. Because that tends to just not be reality. And two, anyone who tells you we're going to remove your data silos and replace them with something else, what we call rip and replace. Mm-hmm. You might eventually want to do that, but typically the data silos you have are there for a reason and they're functioning very well within their context. So I would caution against that approach that is sometimes put forward by various companies and organizations. Uh, and then again, the small step additive approach, right? Let's find that one pain point, see if we can add a capability on top of those capabilities that you have now in your siloed data sources and see if we can address that problem. As I mentioned, there's a number of new technologies and some companies out there that are doing this type of work. Uh, Personally, I think one of the foundational technologies that is really helping here is in the graph database space, which is again really designed to connect these pieces of information together. Mm -hmm. Can you expand upon that a little bit more, just to to share more about what what graph database means and how these pieces fit together? Yeah, more than happy to. I mean, that's... uh, it's a foundational technology that we're built upon, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you, if you think about databases, typically what we think about is we think about rows and columns, right? We think about tables. So something that looks like an Excel a spreadsheet is essentially the structure of a traditional relational database. And it's more or less been the industry standard for over 50 years. Now, relational databases are really good at answering known questions about known data with a fairly narrow viewpoint. Sure. Graph databases in their hand look completely different. So if, if uh, you, know, you were to go to talk to any manufacturing company and, and have a conversation with them and, and try to understand their business process and their business model, uh, at some point, probably pretty early on in the conversation, someone's going to go to the whiteboard and then start, start drawing some circles and some lines to explain you know, they have a product and you know, maybe they have some different manufacturing lines and different components that go in and, and all the different important key business elements and how they're related. And you're going to have a, a bunch of circles and lines with probably some arrows and things on them uh, that's going to express that. And for us as people, that's very natural for us to uh, think about information that way and it becomes very clear for us to understand a picture that looks like that. That is essentially what a graph database structure looks like. It's a bunch of data points connected via relationships. And the really important thing there is that relationship aspect. It's really designed to let you understand how things are related. So again, as we think about manufacturing, typically most manufacturers don't make every single component that goes in the end product. 
right? We buy subcomponents or outsource the manufacturing of subcomponents uh, that we then manufacture into larger components that, of course, we sell as a completed product. Sure. And so now you know, this, this challenge of understanding how everything is related can become very complicated and extremely critical. So we think about product recall, for example. If some component product three degrees down the chain from you, so you know, I, have, so I get some widget from a manufacturer to help me produce my product, but really that's composed of 50 different things, and they're subcontracting that out to somebody else, and one of those pieces has a recall. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I know which of my end products actually have that piece from that supplier in there? That's a really hard problem, and it's one that is really plaguing not just manufacturing to some degree, but really anyone who is shipping things. So you see this in the, um, in the food industry all the time. You see these massive recalls of sure. uh, food products. Mm-hmm. And again, the reason is it's really hard in traditional systems to understand and query those relationships across those many degrees of separation. And that's where graph databases comes in. It lets you ask those complex questions about how things are related to one another, even across many, many gaps in real time. So I think that's a good segue to, to talk a little bit more about FactGem and the products that you all are creating. And maybe you can share a little bit more about that, but then how that transitions and translates over into this new world of empowering end users and analysts to have this low-code, no-code approach of building these relationships and making sense of that data. So what, what I'm really interested in here in this context is seeing how much power we can give to that end user to do as much of the analysis, as much of the data management as possible, again, without having to write any code, without having to engage with expensive software engineers or consultancies or any of that. Uh, How far can Mm -hmm. we push that? And so we start with the concept that I just mentioned, which is that whiteboarding model. And again, really, this is all about giving agency to the business. One of the challenges now that's common uh, across not just manufacturing, but really all fields, is that right now if you want to, let's say, create a new application that helps monitor your supply chain so that you know you have enough pieces coming in to get to menu to, to uh, create your product and so forth. Well, you have to describe that business process to your IT department who then models it and they come back to you and they show you some picture. And they say, is this, we understand that this is kind of how the data works. And the unfortunate part there is most of the people in that room look at that picture and have no idea if that matches what the business actually said. Sure. Because it looks nothing like, again, someone probably went to the board, do some circles and lines, and that looks nothing like that. So that immediately leads to a disconnect and causes potential problems. Uh, even if the model's right, it is maintained in a way that is different than the business thinks about it, and that leads to this cognitive disconnect that can cause friction when the business is trying to do a- analytics and the IT department is saying, well, that doesn't really make sense. You can't, you can't ask the question that way, or you get a slightly different answer than you would expect. So we want to remove that gap. The way you draw that picture on the whiteboard as someone who deeply understands the business, that's the way the data is stored. And you can draw that yourself. You don't need an engineer to come in and do that. Reduces time, reduces friction, and, and, re- and room for error. Mm-hmm. We can come back to the pieces of empowering the user, but I'm curious, in your point of view, what's the hardest part about all this that we've been talking about and driving this change within these organizations? I, I think you hit the, the, the nail on the head right there. Change, change is the hardest part. 
again, if you think about manufacturing in particular, there's a whole bunch of challenges facing the manufacturing sure. industry. And if you talk to a leader, very, very few of them will list software or IT in the top 10. They're going to talk about the competitive landscape, right? The cost of labor in the U.S. versus overseas, you know, tariffs now these days and so on. IT is probably not making the top 10. So that's challenge number one, is helping them understand that there really is not just probably Uh cost to be saved, but market opportunity to be gained by better connecting this data together. You know, then beyond that, you're presenting something that is a fairly new concept. Most of the software platforms and things that are being used in manufacturing are at least conceptually fairly old. Again, it's not a high-risk area, right? You don't see people saying, let's take a risk and do some really brand-new cutting-edge thing that I heard about in Silicon Valley. It's typically not happening in manufacturing. That tends to be more of a low-risk area. So you're saying, you know, this is fairly new. It's about 10 years old, the underlying technology, so it's not, like, brand-new, and we have good use cases and, and case studies. But you are asking the leaders to take a risk. And again, that goes back to the approach of saying, let's do something really small where you can immediately measure a return on investment so you can limit that risk. What you just shared there, I think, is exactly the the right approach. I think that all these initiatives become too overwhelming and the business is looking for the business value and the ease of doing business and getting the information that they're looking for. And IT is wanting to to provide that, but it's kind of bridging that gap of, of expectations. And I think the the best way to do that is, is like you just shared, you've got to break it down into bite-sized chunks and create opportunity that has return on investment and can be demonstrated in a, a relatively short time frame that doesn't become too overwhelming for either side of the coin there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to recognize too, I think that there are a number of stakeholders that are trying to get access to the same capital you are. Yep. Right? You've probably got people who say, I really want to get the newest version of this machine on the manufacturing floor. And they'll have good stats that show you it's you know, 15% faster, it makes 2% fewer errors, etc. And they can very quickly draw a line from that to revenue. So yeah, you've got to start small and draw that line directly to how this impacts the bottom line for the business or you'll never be able to capture their attention. Right. So one of the other questions we typically like to ask is, where do you see the future of this going? So how do you see tools like what you're creating getting introduced into the business and and evolving? What's the outlook over the the next couple of years of where some of these priorities and initiatives where manufacturers might be looking to spend money on this stuff? Well, I think what's happening in in the marketplace, you know, with some of these really large companies that are that are around now that are, that do have the money and the expertise to, to take a very high tech approach, while that of course is creating a lot of market pressure and, and competitiveness, it is going to force other companies to look at how can I become more efficient and understand that efficiency, even though you're a manufacturer of, of a physical good is often now about the data. It's not just the manufactured good. Everything is really data-driven these days. And the truly successful companies are capitalizing on that. So I think you're going to see more and more innovators start to emerge. Again, realize that you know I don't have to spend $20 million or whatever it might be to do a major overhaul of my physical plant in order to achieve some kind of a growth or a competitive edge. If I'm just smarter about how I manage my data... I can spend a lot less money and get ahead faster. And you're starting to see that to some degree, I think, but that's really going to gain momentum pretty quickly here in the beginning of this decade. Yeah, that makes sense. Any additional closing thoughts or topics you'd like to dive a little bit deeper into before we wrap up the show? 
Um, I just, you know, as I think about manufacturing, so well, it's not my area of expertise. I've always been fascinated by robotics. And I think there's been some fascinating developments in the field of robotics, particularly in manufacturing. And when you combine that with some of the artificial intelligence systems, you get some really interesting opportunities to connect uh, even more data to those systems for potentially some really interesting and unexpected developments in terms of uh, productivity and just general innovation. Yeah, and I agree. We've had some previous guests share their perspective on introduction of smart devices on the shop floor and robotics. And to your point, I think that that just creates even more noise, right, as it relates to these streams of data. So not only do you have your systems of record and these data silos that already exist, but now you're introducing so many more devices and widgets and and robots that are also internet connected and have capabilities of lots of data generated off of them. So finding that signal versus the noise of all this information, I think is going to get more and more complex, but for those innovators that are on top of it and embracing that, then I absolutely agree it's going to be a differentiator for them. Yeah, I mean, like who would have thought a couple of years ago that someone would have come up with the idea to keep people in one spot, connect my order systems to my fulfillment systems directly to my inventory systems and move shelves right. to people <laughs> to pack boxes. Like that sounded crazy yep. if you say that five years ago. Uh, it turns out, you know, it whatever you may think of their business practices, it was a genius idea, and it's a really interesting way of combining some fairly elegant but sophisticated robotics with a lot of data to create a tremendous amount of efficiency. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Very cool. Well, Clark, I appreciate the chance to to chat with us today, and thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me. It's been great. So for those listening, if you'd like to learn more about FactGym and their solutions, I'd encourage you to visit factgym.com. That's F-A-C-T-G-E-M.com. And if you'd like to connect with Clark, we'll be sure to provide the relevant links to his online profiles in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate the episode and subscribe to Data In Depth, available on iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you might consume your podcasts. Thanks again for joining us today. Data In Depth is produced by Mountain Point, a digital transformation consulting firm focusing on the manufacturing sector. You can find show notes, additional episodes, and more by visiting dataindepth.com. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.